Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. My name's Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. And we'll be your hosts for today. If you don't know, The Business Diaries is a quarterly storytelling event featuring five storytellers from the business community. Each event has a theme which our storytellers base their stories upon. It's always an inspiring evening. The stories are always interesting, sometimes hilarious, and it would also be true to say that the odd tear has been shed. The podcast is designed to discuss the stories in a little more depth and get some valuable tips from the business owner. Today, we are revisiting the theme, Working Away, and we welcome our storyteller from way back in 2017, Ali Harold. Hello, Ali. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Hi, Isla, and hi, Lisa. Hi, Ali. Actually, not only was Ali a storyteller in 2017, she also shared a story more recently at our Tunbridge Wells storytelling event. So she's very popular for our podcast. She's very much in demand all over, I think. Um, Ali, before we recap on your story, I think it's important to say that music and entertainment has been a major part of your life. Did this come from your parents or were there signs of Ali the singer at a young age? Uh, There was. (laughs) I sang from a really young age and it was my dad who encouraged us, encouraged me and my sisters to sing. So uh, from even being... You know, we were on TV and I was only 14 at the time. What was his so. musical background? He, he wasn't really. It was uh, my mum had the musical background. My mum played the piano. Her dad sang mm-hmm. and he, he could shatter a glass with his voice. And oh, my mum loves to do that. Have yeah. you tried it? I actually tried it when I was little. No. <laughs> didn't work. So you and your sisters formed a group. What were you called? They just the family name, the Anderson sisters. So it was just nothing creative, nothing. It was just the name. But you went on to achieve fabulous success. We did. And it, I have to say at the time, I don't think because we were all young. I mean, as I said, when we went on TV, I was age 14 and my sisters were 12 and 10. Might have even been a little bit younger. But I don't think at that age I even appreciated what it meant, what it what it was about. And and you have to remember in those days, we're talking about the seventies when there were only three channels, four channels on the mm-hmm. TV. So it was really easy to become well known because people were watching one of those channels. Yeah, so yeah, the we, likeliness of them watching you, yeah, is so, much greater than it was today with all these channels. That so it's equivalent of. Britain's Got Talent today. Yes, yeah. Opportunity Knox yeah. was the then program. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So the format of Opportunity Knox was that the winner of the show would stay the winner until they were knocked off the top spot by someone else. Mm-hmm. But from memory, you stayed on the top spot for a good number of weeks. <laughs> well, there was a knack to that because if you were on one one series and you were a winner, you would towards the end of that series, you were carried over to the next series, which meant you were on an all-winner show for that series and then you were automatically carried through to the next series, so you'd be on an all-winner show for that as well. So all of that added up to being on there a long time, long that time, number of yeah. weeks. Yeah. I remember it. I remember you. I mean, I don't remember you, but I remember your group, you know, you and your sisters, and I remember the, the songs because you kind of sang those, the Anderson 
Andrew Sisters, Andrew type, Systems songs, type songs, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Forty really, stuff, yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, so Glenn so Miller stuff, wasn't it? And, we did, and yeah. even had those uniforms. They were actually original American Army uniforms yeah. that were altered yeah. to fit us. So, yeah, yeah, I remember it well. So, win, winning Opportunity Knots, obviously, was a, a massive thing. Where, where did it take you from there? Oh, wow, so, so many things, really. We had a recording contract with CBS Records and Mike Bass of Womble, Womble fame. Yeah. Produced all of our music and wrote songs for us. And in those days, again, it wasn't making music in your bedroom with electronic equipment. It was standing in front of a string orchestra with live strings and a live. Everything was live, recorded live. Went on to perform in the Albert Hall and the London Palladium, supporting people like Sasha Distel, who were well-known names at the time, Cannon and Ball, those kind of people, and often found ourselves at the end of a pier in the summer on a summer show, mm. again supporting people who were famous at that time. So it was an unusual life. Yes, yeah, and, and perhaps not so glamorous as, as people might think. Show business is, it isn't what people think, and I think that you, you meet people now who, when you, especially young people, and you ask them, what do you want to do? And they'll say, I want to be famous. Mm, mm. But what for? And yeah. they have no idea. It's yeah. just the fame that appeals. But it's an unusual place to be because you are surrounded by a lot of egos. You're surrounded by people who want to make money out of you. Uh, we were exploited. We were. We had a manager at the time who had other people on her books that... Um, had achieved a lot, but basically it was about making money. So we would often find ourselves appearing in a theatre. And I remember one summer we were in Eastbourne in the uh, Congress Theatre and we were sold this idea that if we did this summer season, we were going to be able to have all these television producers come down and see us perform because it was easy to get to. And the truth was we were paid only enough to pay for our digs. We would get to Wednesday and have no money. Mm. So we'd have to go next door to the fish and chip shop next to the theatre and beg them to give us our dinner for Thursday night and we'd get paid on Friday. So Wednesday and Thursday we had our dinner on tick. Yeah. So it wasn't not glamorous. Not glamorous. (laughs) No. Okay. All right. So just can you recap, can you remember the story that you told on the night? That was part of it, wasn't it? That was So it was working away because I'd always worked away. From mm. from home. I mean, when we were kids, to to be able to work away from home, you had to have a, a special education license from the education authority to allow you to be off school. Mm-hmm. And from there, we then went off to travel the work. We went to Russia before it was open to Westerners to visit and performed in Olympic stadiums, entertained the troops in Northern Ireland. All over the place, really, geographically. I mean, you're quite brave, really, considering you were quite young. But I well, mean, I, I know think, you that you, there yeah. were the three of you. Yeah, but being young, you, you don't think, you don't think it's of, just exciting. Yeah. You don't even consider that, that you're in any situation where it's either dangerous or. That's funny. That's just just exactly what Amanda said when, yeah. with, with her story working yeah, away when she went to work to Greece. Is, you know, it wasn't really about being brave, it was, it was just an like adventure. the excitement. Yeah, yeah the excitement that's true. Of it, yeah. So, but with with the three of you, you had safety in numbers. <laughs> we did, because at the time, I don't know if you remember, there was a girl called Lena Zavaroni, yes, if you remember yeah. Lena, and she was very much alone. She was in the same entertainment agency that we were, 
and Lena's story is a very sad one because yeah. she ended up, she died of yeah. anorexia. Actually, she had an operation on her brain to to prevent this eating disorder that went horribly wrong. And But we always had each other, so, mm. yeah, we were never alone. Yeah. And, but that, that has its up and down because one thing, I think I told you, Lisa, that I think show business is not a good place for kids to yes. be because yeah. you don't develop, your personality doesn't develop in the way it should naturally develop. Mm. And especially being three sisters together, what you end up with is three girls locked together who shouldn't be together that length of time. So mm. your relationships become not what they would be as siblings. And I became kind of the mother figure for my two sisters, taking care of them. And I can remember years later, I went to have therapy because I'd reached a crisis point in my life. And sitting with this therapist, she said, tell me about your life. And when I started to tell her all this stuff, the one thing that was missing was I never did I. I did we. So as as you mm. grow up in your life, you should do the I. You know, when you hear it said about teenagers, so it's I, this, I, that. It's all about the, the them, them individually. Yeah. And you didn't I never did time. that. I went straight to we with my sisters and took care of them. So I had to go back there and do this other work to be able to be a fully functioning human being. Yeah. Which... Did that affect your sisters as well? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and they haven't been able to do the work they need to do to to get free of that so it can lead to all sorts of issues mm-hmm. in your life has it kept you all close not really because when you've been locked up with people when I say locked up in dressing rooms yeah. <laughs> hours on end together yeah you just want to get away from those people <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so not really when we get together we laugh a lot and we re- have memories that remember things that happened but it isn't what people might think yeah. you know. and what did your parents did it uh, sort of looking back when you were older did your parents sort of reflect and say do you know what that's not how we thought that would turn out or one of the things I realized in having this therapy that I had was that my dad lived his ambition through us mm. so he pushed us mm. and in order because he didn't get those opportunities and so he was kind of a bit ruthless in the way that he yeah. pushed us um, but you do that because you think that you're doing the right you're doing thing. the right thing yeah, yeah. He, d- he did what he thought was best but for us it wasn't where my mum was totally the opposite she was like let them let, let them, them go and have some fun and let them do yeah sorry I was just I was going to ask what do you think that that experience as a child has brought has brought with you today now as a speaking coach so obviously knowledge of the voice, how the voice works, being able to communicate with an audience and to make, create that connection. But also resilience, flexibility and being able to make the best of a situation. And I say this when I work with people for speaking, I say it's not going to be what you think it is. You can practice all you want, but when you stand up there to speak... The technology might let you down. The room may be different than you think it's going to be. Mm. The audience might be bigger or smaller than you think it's going to be. You've got to learn to adjust to that Mm. and do your best Mm. in that moment. So that's what it taught me. It taught Mm. me how to to really be in the moment and make the best of the situation we've got at that time, not what you think it might be or you wished it had been. Mm. 
Yeah, you just got to get on. So you get make a mistake it. and you forget that mistake and you move you Straight move on. on because if you stay stuck on worrying that you've made this mistake, you, you will make more. Whereas if you just carry on carry to on. the next thing, yeah, the show must yeah. go on. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing phases me because of it. I think is is what I've learned is that mm. uh, life it doesn't there, there's not a lot that would phase me because of that. Mm. And of course, it's not just the technology and yourself that you're managing. It's also the audience. I remember you shared an example when you told the story um, that in a, you were performing in a club and you weren't quite appreciated in the way that you'd hoped. There was a there was a chap uh, who told you what he <laughs> liked about you, but it wasn't quite what you were expecting. Uh, because you, you, the thing is, what you're what you're performing with there, it's your ego. That's what keeps you in that business. That's what keeps you traveling up and down the country and playing clubs and humping equipment around and believe me the pain is more than the actual gain but it's the ego that keeps you doing that mm. because you're looking all the time for that uh, reinforcement that you're okay that you're appreciated and so all any performer ever wants is to step out on the stage and feel a love and feel mm. a lot of performers will tell you I'm there because I want to uh, feel that you know affection from an audience and so the particular night you're talking about was when they were, I remember it as if it was yesterday, Portsmouth <laughs> Labour Club was the club, and this agent had sent me there. This is when I was performing by myself, yeah. which I was years later. And I turned up and I was told there was no dress, the dressing room was actually a room behind the bar with no door on it. So I had to build a wall of crisp boxes and change behind the crisp boxes and walked out onto the sand in my own footsteps because there was no applause. This is how uneducated this audience were. They didn't know how to respond to anybody. And they were playing gaming machines up and down the room the whole time. And when I came off after 45 minutes, I was like, I'm so glad this is over. Making my way back to my dressing room, in inverted commas, and this man said to me, I, I really enjoyed you performance and I, I thought oh someone like someone liked me and I was like, oh, <laughs> thank you and he said know what I liked about you most and I'm like no and he said you had no air under your armpits <laughs> oh no way <laughs> there's appreciation and for you <laughs> so you know it kind of brings you back down to earth you realize that you know hey I don't know what kind of women they hang out with in Portsmouth <laughs> but it made me realize that you know you, you can't get bigger than it, you just yeah. are what you are at yeah. that time yeah. And, yeah yeah I remember as well you going back to talking about you have to deal with things as it happens and I remember you saying that you were billed you you took on a, a gig and you were billed as a comedian <gasps> that was the oh, that was the most I think one of the <laughs> It's funny, but it it was like at the time, it's just so scary because I had turned up. To, what happened was I'd left the area. I lived in Sussex and I got a phone call from the agent who I used to do a lot of work for. And I decided I was giving up show business. And they do say that you don't give up show business. Show business has to give up you. That's the phrase right. they use. And so I get a phone call from the agent. He said, will you do this? gig in in Bognor at this it's a rotary do it's a dinner dance will you do the cabaret and I said 
oh, Rick, I don't do that anymore. And he said, no. He said, they they saw you in a theatre and they really want you. And that particular theatre they'd seen me in was emceeing a show and I had just gone on and done links. So I could be funny for 30 seconds with a link, but nothing else. So they had thought that I was a comedian. So when I arrived at this venue and all the tables are laid out with tablecloths and the menus on the table with the name of the band who were playing at the cabaret. And I picked this menu up and I read the lovely food they're going to have. And then my eyes landed on cabaret. Dixon was my surname at that time, Ali Dixon, comedian. I thought, oh, my God, I'm not a comedian. What, what's... And I said to this guy, I said, I think you've got this wrong you know I'm not a comedian and he said oh no he said we saw you you were fabulous you made us really laugh I said yeah for 30 seconds but 45 minutes is this isn't going to happen he said no no you'll be fine and I thought what do I do do I do I run away or do what do I do and the show must go on you've got to do it and I went on and I sang as I do did and I did a few little one-liners in between things, by no means hilarious, and came off stage and this guy followed me back to my room and he said, uh, well, what was that about then? He said, um, wasn't very funny, was it? And I said, no, I told you it wasn't going to be funny. I'm not a comedian. Mm. He said, oh, I don't know. He said, uh, you know, I'm not going to be very happy to pay for this. <laughs> like, oh, no. oh, what a uh, cheek. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. the risk you take. Yeah, lack of communication and, mm. yeah, all sorts. Yeah, no, yeah. but, yeah, you, that's where the resilience comes from. The, yes. I did get my money, and but I think my my time to leave show business was right. Show business was leaving me. <laughs> and, and was that the last sort of big gig? No, no, because no. I did go on to, with my husband, we formed a publishing company and I carried on. I was recording music as opposed to performing it. Uh, so I carried on in that way, but not actually out there performing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So moving on to speaking and coaching other people to speak. Yes. Yeah, so it's interesting because I've had, it's timely actually, because a, a memory came up on Facebook from 2014 where I had won speaking awards with, I was the picture of me holding a cup. And I remember thinking back to that time and thinking, at that moment, I had no idea how I was winning these awards. So I'd gone into a speakers club because my confidence was extremely low and my self-esteem was on the floor because my marriage had ended and I'd come out of the business I had with my husband. And I was thinking, how can I build my confidence? So I joined this speakers club, started to learn if I tell you for the first time I stood up, I didn't even last the two minutes they asked you to do. I was that scared. And slowly did the assignments they give to you and I start to win awards. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm doing this. What am I doing that's that's giving me the edge here? And a, a little while later, the penny dropped where I thought, of course you do. You, you know how to project your voice. You know how to energise words and... All of that is what's coming into play. But at that time, I had a raw chocolate business, so I had no intention of coaching people for public speaking. And I was going networking. I'd never been networking in my life. I didn't even know what networking was. And I would meet these women who had a business 
I'm like, you've got this brilliant business, but you can't explain what you do. So this little voice was saying to me, you've, you can help these women. Why don't you do it? And the truth was, and I didn't know this at the time, that I'd invested a lot of money in my raw chocolate business and I couldn't walk away from that and admit I was barking up the wrong tree and I needed mm. to do something else. And But eventually, two years down the road, I did. I, I found a business mentor who helped me make that transition from one thing to the other and I haven't looked back since because it's, it's such a a joy to me to give people those techniques and help them grow their ability mm -hmm. to leave the nerves behind, yeah. to be in that moment and really connect with an audience and feel they're, they're sharing something worthwhile. So, you really have been, I mean, a, a tower of strength for so many people. I mean, I, I, I know that absolutely. You know, Isla and I have yeah. both benefited from your advice, your help. And your support, and you've been a great supporter of the Business Diaries as well, which we, we truly thank you for. Yeah, well, I remember you and I had a conversation, Lisa, about the Business Diaries, and I said to you, what are you going to do with this? Is this going to be a franchise? Is it going to be... Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. And, and It's going to be a podcast now. Introducing you two to each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Who'd have thought two years ago I'd be sitting here doing a podcast? Yeah. Wow. Not me when I was... Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm often yeah. saying, here we go, Isla. <laughs> Here we go. The next thing. So, Ali, thank you so much for coming into us into into us today and for sharing your story. Can you just give us a quick reminder if people want to get in touch with you, how they can reach you? Yes, yeah, so it's ali aliharold.co.uk is the website. There's lots of workshops on there to help people if they're really anxious about speaking, nervous, uh, introverts who really sometimes believe they can't do this. I I can help those, so just find me on the website and uh, let's have a conversation and see how I can help you. Excellent. Brilliant, thank you. And of course, it's not just standing up and, and speaking in front of an audience. We have webinars and Zoom and all sorts of online now, Facebook Lives, of course. Speaking is the one thing that if you can do it well, will grow your business in such a huge way because you then have other avenues open to you that don't phase you, like radio, like... Uh, doing live videos or creating video, which if you are nervous about speaking, you will never do any of those mm. things. So it's a key to a big area for growing your business. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Ellie. You're Thanks. welcome. Thanks. So I think we have some really good takeaways from today. For me, a key takeaway that I've listened from uh, Ali's it's just that resilience, taking what you've learnt and being in that experience from such a very, very young age and then taking that through to oh, yeah, your I career agree. now. Definitely, yeah. And also the, the fact that you recognised you needed to do something else as well and um, sort of following that, following that, I don't know whether you've heard of it, but there's like the, the, the three-stool effect where you've, you've got the three legs and not three stool effect the three legs effect where you know one thing is that you've got to be liking it you've got to be good at it and you've got to do what the world wants and you know you recognize that as far as the speaking's concerned and you've you've hit the nail on the head and you're doing really well oh. and it's lovely to watch <laughs> thank you thank you ali okay well that's it for today um all that remains is to give thanks to obviously our guest ali thank you ali 
um, to Paul Cheese for our fantastic jingle and Paul Andrews for editing this podcast. And if you'd like to attend the next Business Diaries live event, it's on the 13th of March. At it's, the very, not, it's on the 19th of March. It is on the 19th of March. I don't know what notes I'm looking at here. <laughs> on the 19th of March at the very swish Hotel Divan in Tunbridge Wells. And you'll find us in the Havana room with a glass of wine and five fabulous storytellers willing to share their story. And tickets are available now via Eventbrite. And in the meantime, you can find all of our news on what's going on with the Business Diaries, live events and with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. So enormous thanks go to you, the listener. Thank, for, thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and you'll join us for the next podcast. Bye for now. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. 